Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, September 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Here in the U.S. and much of the West, it's been almost six months since we went into various forms of lockdown. Six months since nearly everything in our lives was canceled. Many of us started working from home, if we're lucky to still have a job. So to mark this milestone, we're doing something a little different today on The Briefing. We'll talk to the FT's Jillian Tett and Hannah Kushler about how the pandemic has changed the global economy and the medical industry in such a short amount of time. We start with Jillian Tett, our U.S. editor-at-large, who points out the pandemic has led to finger-pointing and animosity as people try to place blame on the origins of the virus. Meanwhile, race has clearly played a factor in how different communities have been affected by the pandemic. We'll get to that. But before we examine the human element, I started by asking Jillian about government responses. Well, I think what's become very clear is that although you need politicians to give you a reassuring message and to play some kind of cheerleader role in a crisis, there's a tremendous value to being simply competent and organized and able to execute policies. And frankly, many government figures have been shown wanting in that respect. A country like Germany has done a commendable job by simply being quietly efficient, organized, not making a great drama about it, but essentially the population, you know, being pretty compliant. You go to a country like Italy, which was chaotic at first, or the UK, which was also chaotic, where essentially Boris Johnson denied that it was a real problem for a long time and then did a U-turn. Or the US, which frankly is one of the more shameful examples on the world stage today in terms of handling or mishandling the COVID-19 crisis. And so all of those are essentially being found wanting, or most of them have. Whereas if you look across to much of Asia, there's been an infinitely more calm, organized, and frankly, more impressive response. But you know, Gillian, regardless of how a country has handled a crisis, we've actually, you know, we've seen civil rest all over the world. Uh, Germany, which you just said handled the crisis well, is having protests. The U.S., Sweden, also having protests. Um, can we expect to see civil unrest continue? Well, there's three things going on, really. One is that you're seeing a lot of economic pain. And economic pain, desperation, anger, inevitably sparks unrest and protest. Secondly, you do have parts of the population that are pretty frustrated with the lack of competence in the government. But the third point is that pandemics have always in history sparked some form of xenophobia and attacks on the other, someone who looks different from yourself, a different tribe. There's all kinds of reasons for that. One of the most basic is that as an anthropologist, um, I studied the works of people like Mary Douglas a long time ago, who pointed out that pandemics are always associated with concepts of pollution, external threats coming in and essentially disrupting the pure body inside. That affects how we perceive risk. It means that we tend to massively overestimate external threats and underestimate internal threats. But it also means in a crisis like we're seeing today, there is a tendency to have a lot of finger pointing, xenophobia, attacks on outsiders. And that is very much fueling this sense of protest. So, Gillian, we've talked about the last six months, and, and of course, you know, neither one of us have a crystal ball. But what can we expect in the next six months? Well, I think the next half of the year could deliver quite a wide range of options. 
the ideal scenario, which I think is very unlikely, is that a vaccine suddenly comes through and suddenly the fear goes away and that people start returning to work and you have a great explosion of pent-up demand. And if that's coupled with all the cheap money floating around because of what the central banks have done, you could actually see some really dramatic increases in asset prices. Do I think that's going to happen? I fear almost certainly not, because I personally think, I'm no doctor, that it seems to me the chances of a vaccine working and being properly distributed is going to be quite low for a while. And certainly in the US, it does not appear to be under control right now. And more importantly, there's every chance that as the extraordinary stimulus rolls off, we're going to see another big leg down in the economic activity over the winter. And yes, the central bank will come under more pressure to do even more, but there's really a limit to how much more dramatic impact it could have on the financial market just by yet more QE, because frankly, the room for wriggle room keeps diminishing. And central banks aren't the only institutions coming under pressure. The medical industry has had to think on its feet for the past six months in ways never thought possible. Hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and the makers of personal protective equipment have all had to pivot quickly. Hannah Kushler is the FT's U.S. pharmaceutical and biotech correspondent. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Hannah, what's the last six months been like for you? It's been a mess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been a political mess, it's been an economic mess, and, and most crucially and horrifically, it's destroyed many people's lives. Recently on social media, there's been this challenge of, of uh, asking people to post a picture of themselves in, in January 2020 before all of this madness hits. For you, what was it like being a reporter transitioning to what your beat has become? Um, what moment, what is that transition moment for you? Yeah, it's really interesting. So in January, I was at the healthcare conference, which is the JP Morgan conference in San Francisco. And actually, I remember interviewing the CEO of Moderna, who is the company that is now making a COVID vaccine. And as I went back and in February wrote a big piece about how they had become aware of uh, the situation in China and, and acted very quickly to make sure that they were the fastest to have a vaccine in a bottle ready for testing. I became aware that when I was interviewing him, he, you know, which was, I think, maybe January 10th or something, he was already in talks about preparing a COVID vaccine. And yet it was not really on our agenda at all. Um, and then just before lockdown, at the end of those 42 days, I ended up um, visiting Moderna's factory just outside Boston in Massachusetts. And it was just a surreal visit when I look back on it because, you know, I was aware, obviously, by this point of how dangerous COVID was and how necessary the vaccine they were making was. But it still felt like people around me weren't aware. Hannah, you know, it's been a lot of learning the last six months from virtually no knowledge of COVID-19 to a lot of things that we've learned and forgotten and just things that have become more commonplace. But, you know, what to you is the main thing that we've learned about the virus, how it spreads and and how people are responding to it from a health point of view? 
So yeah, we've learned a lot about the virus and how it spreads. I think six months ago, we thought of the virus very much as a respiratory virus. And it obviously does have those impacts. But we've learned that it can also affect your heart, your brain, your toes even. We've learned that there's unusual immune reactions in children. And obviously, that's quite rare. And we're beginning to learn about how long immunity might last um, because we're starting to see some early evidence of it fading in people. We've also, and this is really important, one of the things that we maybe suspected six months ago but we didn't have sort of more clear evidence on is just the huge degree of asymptomatic spread. That's people being able to spread the disease when they have no idea they have it because they don't have symptoms and they may never even get them. There's been estimates that that's like 30 to 40% of people and that's really important because of course it makes it harder to battle and understand where it is. So, Hannah, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the state of the vaccine race. Um, who's in the lead and what looks most promising at this moment? We don't know who is in the lead. And I think that the the idea of a race for a vaccine is often used and I have used it myself. Uh, but it's not at the moment at the stage where you could say, well, this one's going to work and this one isn't. If we knew that, then we'd be putting it in people's arms. There are several candidates, the largest stage of trials, but this is a really important stage. It's great and it's been incredibly fast that they've got to this last stage. But without this stage, you don't have any understanding of how effective a vaccine is going to be. And you don't have any understanding of sort of rarer side effects. Obviously, if it was, you know, caused huge side effects in normal healthy people, then it would have been ruled out already, but it's still pretty important. And so any effort could be scuppered by the discovery of more significant side effects in a smaller population. Anna Kushler is our U.S. pharmaceutical and biotech correspondent. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. We're back tomorrow with the latest news to start your day. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.